This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Good afternoon. You're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show with Erin Jones. Thanks for our last hour of radio from Marissa and the Doing Time team. Um, it's important to look at the uh, important things that they were talking about around the current climate action and some of the way that the protesters have been portrayed. But today on the Beyond Zero Emissions show, we're talking about um, some different things. We're talking about the transition to electric transport. And as anyone who's a regular to the show would know, this is a topic that um, I'm particularly interested in. And we've done a few features from different angles on uh, the important part of the puzzle that is electrifying transport. And today we're looking at fleets and the transition to EVs from a fleet perspective and also touching base with Tony Fairweather from Sea Electric who is a Victorian-based um, vehicle technology company, you'd say, that are actually doing drive electric drivetrains and are really been quite successful, not only in Australia, but also even probably more so into the North American market, New Zealand, they've just opened a European branch. So we're going to speak to Tony a little bit later in the show about some of the success that they're having and um, their plans into the future. But to start off with, we're going to talk to the CEO of the Electric Vehicle Council about a new initiative that they've just rolled out last week, which is a website called chargetogether.org. And that's got a number of tools on it to make it a lot easier, particularly for small to medium sized enterprises, to help them with their planning and putting together a business case and accurate costings of what transitioning their fleet to EVs would look like. And this is um, a project which has been done in collaboration with a few different organisations. Um, Arena has been part of it, the, uh, as I say, the Electric Vehicle Council, um, the Australian Fleet Managers Association. So it's kind of been a conglomerate of industry that have put this together and it's going to be a really useful tool to help businesses look at the uh, business case for transitioning their fleets. So let's get on with that now. I'll, uh, we'll talk about a few other things and a little bit of an update from the Save Western Port campaign, which is a campaign that we've been following here in Victoria down in the Western Port Bay area and AGL wanting to try to put in a gas pipeline. So once again, um, thanks for being here on the show today and listening. Um, always welcome your feedback. If you want to, probably the easiest way to let me know is Twitter. And my handle is at EJ4573. And let me know what you may like to hear on the show for future episodes. But for now, let's have a listen to the Electric Vehicle Council and the new initiative of Charge Together. Listeners, I'm very pleased to have on the line the CEO of the Electric Vehicle Council of Australia, Becky Had Jafari. Welcome. How are you today? I'm well, thanks, Erin. Thanks for having me on. 
that's okay. Um, look, it's always interesting to see what's happening in the EV space, and um, it's something that I've uh, looked at quite a bit in different shows over the uh, time on the radio show here. And as things keep moving forward, um, it's good to see developments. And, and the one that I really want to focus on with you today is the Charge Together initiative. And, you know, as we know, fleet sales make up a really high proportion, over 50% of new vehicle sales. And they're a really important part of the transition to um, electrification of transport. So can you just tell me a little bit about what Charge Together is and, and how it came about? Yeah, well, you've nailed that, Erin. Uh, fleets make up about 52% of the new vehicles that are sold in Australia every year. Uh, we speak to a range of whether it's sort of local governments, states, companies right across Australia who tell us a number of things. You know, at the very basic level, it's we've heard of electric vehicles and we'd like to hear more. We want a source of information to turn to. The other is, look, we're ready to start buying electric vehicles, but... We, you know, it's a new technology. We need to understand it a bit better first and see you know, when and how it's suitable to us. So again, where can we go? How can we learn these things? And so the Charge Together Fleets uh, program, what it does is it's a free service that provides people with a range of, there's a knowledge centre so you can read up, you know, learn a bit about the basics of how EVs work, how you charge them, how you run them. Uh, there's a tool there called Better Fleets that's basically like a total cost of ownership calculator so you can go ahead and build out a business plan for yourselves of, you know, we usually buy these type of vehicles, what are the equivalent electric vehicles in that segment, uh, how much do they cost, how much do they cost to run, how much do they cost to maintain every year, and then also how much emissions will we be reducing by switching over to electric vehicles under different scenarios, whether you're using power straight from the grid or you have your own supplies of green energy. Great. And so obviously this was seen as, um, you know, something lacking in, in the, the knowledge base and the education to help these businesses, you know, put together that um, business case. Because certainly in lots of the conversations that, that I've had uh, with different EV, um, either manufacturers or the likes of, of, of C Electric in the commercial space, is actually that knowledge source and educating the users around things like total cost of ownership. Um, because we're still looking at a higher upfront sticker price currently on vehicle models available in the Australian market. But really, especially for fleets, it's so important for them to kind of look in that, at the totality of that. There are a few useful uh, areas for fleets. The first is that, unlike private customers, what they should be doing is looking at how much the vehicle is going to own them, cost them rather, over you know, three to five years' time. So a lot of what we know about private customers is they look at things like what colour is it, you know, how, how does it look, how do I feel about it, sort of very emotional, and then that sticker price means everything to them. And while we can talk about the fact that EVs are cheaper to run, that sticker price really is sort of the main constraint for them. Whereas for companies who have, you know, a lot more money sitting in their bank accounts, it is really a actually at the end of each year or at the end of five years, how much money have you spent overall? And anyone who like, sort of purchases a vehicle using a spreadsheet, using just the pure hard facts like that, well, we can show them those facts and say, here is where buying an electric vehicle is already cheaper for you today. And that's not going to be the case for every single vehicle today. But then also importantly, what needs to happen out over the next few years for you to purchase more and more, turn more and more of your fleet into electric vehicles. And so with that information at hand, they're not just making able to make immediate take immediate steps, which is very important, 
but they're also able to plan the next few years in advance as well, saying when an electric vehicle comes in, it costs X amount and it has you know X range, we can turn another 10, 20, 30% of our fleet electric. Yeah. And so tell me about the, the body. I mean, obviously the Electric Vehicle Council was part of it, but also the Australian Fleet Managers Association. How, how was the um, the working group put together? And, and because you recently launched this, but how long has it been in the planning? Yeah, so it's a, a program of work that we've been doing with a uh, with a group named EV Energy, uh, as well as a number of partners like the uh, Business Council, the uh, Sustainable Business Council of Australia, uh, AFMA, the Australian Fleet Managers Association, quite a number of others of really working together on. We've all been hearing about this issue from different companies and different fleets and saying, well, what are those questions that you've been asked? And if you're a fleet expert, for instance, like the Australian Fleet Managers Association, of are the solutions that we're providing back actually fit for purpose or not? Are we sort of coming up with dream scenarios that aren't actually useful to people or are we you know, ser- serving the people that we're trying to put this information in front of correctly? And then also a number of we have about... Uh, quite a large number, I can't remember off the top of my head, of uh, of actual participants in it as well who have been helping just test the program out for us for uh, almost close to a year now. Probably the beginning of this year we started actually both building the tools and resources along with EV Energy and getting people to test them out to iron out any wrinkles before we launch it out to the broader public as well. Mm. And, yeah, because I suppose that's the thing, whether you're a fleet manager or not, I suppose you can still use these tools for your, for your own analysis, couldn't you? Yeah, look, you absolutely could. There are certainly plans to make um, more tools available for private consumers as well. There are you know, aspects of this that may be either a bit too in-depth or looking at um, how to make a business case stack up if you're buying multiple vehicles that you know a private consumer may not find as useful or you know, may find a bit too, uh, bit too detailed for them. There are, you know, even on our websites uh, on the Electric Vehicle Council's website, there are a few very basic ones for private customers of looking at one cost versus another. Uh, but certainly whether you're you know, a fleet manager of a small, medium, large-sized business, as I mentioned, we have sort of councils and state governments using this tool. It's a no matter what size, you're going to find something that's useful for you. Mm. Now, uh, you know, as we, we talked about, 52% of new vehicle sales are fleets. Uh, we'll go into to the fleet part of the um, transport inventory. And that then has a really s- important secondary role, doesn't it? Because there's a time then when those vehicles will then go filter through into the second-hand market, which presumably is also where a lot of individuals may, you know, be able to pick up an EV and, um, you know, as those there's more volume of that. So it, it helps on that front as well. And it's not just that there are a lot of them, but it's also the timing of the type that you mentioned that's really important. So fleets are purchasing vehicles in that thirty to $40,000 price range that makes up sort of the average of new vehicles being sold. And so, you know, they're not very expensive vehicles, so you're going to get a flood of sort of more accessible, more affordable vehicles that come into the second-hand market at an even lower price point. Uh, but also very importantly, unlike a private consumer, we usually know when they're going to enter into the second-hand market. A fleet will tell us we're buying this for three years, four years, five years, and then it'll be a second-hand vehicle. And that means that we can prepare to get people ready to know that these vehicles will be coming in the next three to five years available to them. Whereas, of course, when you, you know, if you're a private consumer buying a vehicle, you're going to buy it until you're sick of it and you want to get rid of it again. It sort of allows us to sort of plan more for that really important second-hand market where 
for the overwhelming majority of Australians, they're only buying second-hand vehicles. Not, you know, not very many people are actually buying first-hand vehicles, but you need them to be sold first-hand so that they can get into everyone else's hands. Yeah, exactly. So what's the kind of um, feeling at the coalface from uh, fleet buyers and, and businesses? I, I mean, are they excited for EVs? Is there pushback? Is it just really a matter of kind of stepping them through how the new technology works and, and uh, you know, look at having, having them have an accurate idea of what exactly their vehicles do? Because, you know, we hear so much or less and less now, fortunately, but about range anxiety. But certainly I know from the research that Beyond Zero Emissions did quite a few years ago now, the amount that people drive is well, well within the range of pretty much any electric vehicle that's on the market today. Um, But unfortunately, people's perception seems to be they want to buy a vehicle for that 2% of trips that they, you know, they may do from time to time. I kind of, you know, said the analogy to someone... You know, you don't buy a furniture removal truck for that once every couple of years or once a year that you might need to move a bit of furniture. But, but people seem to have a bit of a strange way of, um, you know, thinking about their day-to-day vehicle because really um, I, I can't think of one electric vehicle available new today that wouldn't probably suit 98% of journeys that people do. I mean, Australia's, even though it's a big, vast country, the majority of the population is urban. Yeah, so I think a couple of questions to unpack there. The first is, look, that we didn't design this program to, uh, with it, you know, hopefully it does get more people excited, but we didn't design it in order to start getting fleets excited. We designed it because we kept getting asked by fleets for more information, so they're already excited and wanting to do something about wanting access to better details, better information. Look, the information's been out there in the past, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's over a lot of different places. So mm. this has been on whether it's fleet or customers to go out and track it down, pull it all together, do the work themselves. So it takes a lot of time and effort. Uh, or alternatively, it's been expensive. You have to go out to different sort of consulting groups to do this work for you. And that's not going to be suitable for everyone to sort of spend thousands of dollars getting a report done up. So it's sort of lowering that barrier for people to say, all the information's here, it's going to be free. All you have to do is go to, should plug the site, is chargetogether.org, and it's all there available to you. Just sign up and you can start using it all the way. Uh, so the other part of that, yes, yeah, certainly, look, I think there are a couple of points there on range of absolutely electric vehicles available today can do everything that you can do 99% of the time. Importantly now, the latest generation of electric vehicles having ranges of 450 kilometres and above can also meet that additional 1% of need of if you happen to want to go in a longer drive as well. Um, Because it is like being respectful of the fact that it's an expensive purchase, the vehicle. You know, mm. spending a lot of money on it, and understandably, sometimes they think, "Well, I don't want to have to also then sacrifice or plan around or after I've spent all this money on a vehicle." So, good news is, they're there and they're ready for you now. <laughs> the vehicles can sort of do everything that you need, and if you're going on a longer trip, there are those faster charging stations along those longer routes to help get you, you know, to where you need to go as well, and then. Just like with anywhere, if anywhere you're going, unless you're going out to, you know, off grid and roughing it out camping, it probably has access to electricity, so you can charge when you get there too. 
So all of those needs are met. And it sort of really feeds into that convenience of electric vehicles. Of you can charge it anywhere, anywhere that has electricity, and most of the world has a, you know, most of the country at least has electricity. So you're fine. Yeah, that's a funny point, isn't it? People think, oh, you know, where can I charge it? Where can I charge it? And I think, well, as you say, there's there's electricity pretty much in every home or commercial premises, or it, it, it's everywhere. Uh, we don't have service, you know, petrol, diesel stations everywhere. Um, you know, it's so, so it's kind of a, a strange perception, isn't it, that people have so much anxiety around that. But that brings me to a slightly different point. I mean, right, it's, it's new, so it takes some getting used to. And the more programs like this and others can fam- help familiarise the new technology for people, the more those concerns go away. We you know, have a joke in the uh, EV world that the only people who have range anxiety are people who don't own electric vehicles. Yeah, exactly. exactly. The thing that you're looking at and wondering, how's it going to work? Will it work? And certainly when you own one, you think, yeah, it's absolutely fine. It's the best choice I've made. Mm. So following on from that then, when we look at um, charging networks, we've got a variety. So as we mentioned there, you can simply charge at home. You can charge in a uh, high-speed charger, and and we're now getting some in some of the new, certainly the higher-priced vehicles um, can take charge at incredibly high speed and so have very high charging. And certainly, you know, we all know this Tesla story and, and how they've um, recognised early on as a, as a kind of a leader in the field that they needed to put that charging network in as part of the whole package of transitioning people. And then we've also got kind of the destination and the lower speed charges at either workplaces or shopping centres. So given we've got that that kind of mix, A, what do you think that mix looks like today on a percentage breakdown? And in a more mature market, where do you think that needs to be? Because, you know, people, as you're just mentioning, have this perception before they have an electric vehicle that they need charges everywhere. But in actuality, when people do have an electric vehicle, probably the vast majority of their charging is is done at home. So, so what do you think the, the makeup of, of those um, different style of charges and maybe if you could outline for our listeners, you know, what, you know, the difference between, um, you know, a high-speed charger and, and what we're looking at there and, and a destination charger, for example. Yeah, happy to do that. So I'll start with the first point there of, I think what a lot of the, you know, common assumptions that we use now are, I guess, research that's done around the rest of the world that has much higher rates of electric vehicle adoption than we do, and they see that anywhere like 80%, 80 to 90% of uh, charging occurs at home. So that doesn't mean... That means of all the electric vehicle charging that happens. So that may mean that there are some customers that only charge out publicly and some that only charge at home. But, you know, there's that mix there of some people who mostly charge at home but sometimes charge publicly as well. But it's somewhere around 80 to 90%. And that lower end of... About 80%, I think, is as the market becomes more mature, there are a few things to watch out for. We'll probably trend and rest around about there. There will, of course, be people who don't have access to charging at home, so they're going to need other services. So if you live in an apartment or you're renting, uh, there are constantly new solutions being provided out by companies looking to provide um, sort of leasing out the charging equipment if you're renting so you don't have to go out and build something, you know, stand or don't have to convince your landlord to build something. You can sort of have something there for you that moves with you as well or not if you choose not to. Uh, but I think a really important point to watch out for is how the economics of going to electric vehicles also support the economics of something very important, which is shared mobility. So more mm. transport, more 
shared transport, car sharing, ride sharing. And this is sort of getting into the promise of electric vehicles of not just changing the car you own, but changing the way that you move around to sort of create, use our space more efficiently and more generously and not having everyone need to have a car or, as is the case in Australia, have every family have three cars or mm. <laughs> can make do with one and pick up one the rest of the time when you happen to need it. Um, but then apparently then, whether it's through depots or public charging, they'll need more of those fast chargers because, of course, if you're a Uber or GoGet or anything else, you want those cars operating as much of the time as possible and not sitting there charging slowly. Uh, so there's three different areas that we look at. The one that I guess the biggest headline grabber and the latest networks that we've had uh, being built up and down the eastern seaboard and a bit around Western Australia now are the what we call the ultra-rapid fast chargers. These are the ones that will refuel a vehicle in 10 to 15 minutes' time. Sort of a lot of a lot of them built using Australian-built hardware as well, and they really are the first intention for them. Of a, if you're going on a longer trip and don't want to have to pull over and stop for a long time, it's not an overnight stay. You just want to stop, grab some food, go to the bathroom, and get back on the road. These will provide you enough charge to do just that. Uh, the, the next level being a the type of charger that you might have at a, say, a restaurant or even in your home, but a place where you're planning on spending some more time. And these will provide a full recharge in something like three to four hours. But really the intention there being that you're probably not fully recharging the vehicle. You probably have driven 20, 30 kilometres to wherever you happen to be and you're topping it back up and you're moving back along again. Um, and similarly, you could have that inside of your house as well. So it's providing just that. And the final one, of course, being is to just plug it into a wall socket. Mm, yeah. And and presumably, you know, there's a cost differential with those um, the higher speed um, charges that are, that are just sort of starting to roll out. And, and um, I mean, Tritium, which is a Brisbane-based company, which some of our listeners will be familiar with, has been a real success story, haven't they? They've... Um, uh, you know, exporting charges all over the world. Yeah, that's right. A lot of those fast charges in North America or Europe are actually built here in Brisbane, so not here directly, but built here in Australia uh, and exported elsewhere. So it's again, it's a when it comes to EVs, the rest of the world actually knows Australia quite well because you know we're we're, we're on their lips quite prominently, and uh, thankfully for us, seeing more and more of that hardware being built out here domestically as well. Mm. So, so just getting back to the charge together, uh, is this focused on um, more the, the car and passenger car market or does the tool apply equally to the um, distribution and freight network? Do we kind of go into to, um, those more medium to light commercial, medium commercial kind of kind of range? Is it intended for those type of applications? Includes, uh, heavier vehicles as well. Most of the information and the resources uh, are available for light vehicles with some information and resources available for what we'll call the logistics sector um, with a, you know, we're watching that as well and, ex and expanding on it as we can. I think it just sort of reflects the state of the market as well. There are some options available and some great companies like uh, C Electric or SEA Electric down in Victoria uh, who can provide uh, heavy commercial vehicles for uh, logistics companies and councils and you know other fleets as well. But um, but certainly, I guess the advances there are more limited than they are in light vehicles. So there's more about light vehicles just because we have more to say and there's more to talk about there. Um, and we'll keep updating that heavy vehicle section as we go. Mm. Now, we know that there's still currently no national policy and certainly... Um 
you know, I've tried to feature some good stories on the show around um, going back a little while, uh, the work that's happened in Queensland with the um, charging network that got rolled out there and certainly a lot of local governments um, are also either doing fleet conversions or, or trying to, you know, make um, policies and, and accommodate uh, charging as street furniture, etc. cetera. Uh, how do you see... I mean, can we keep going at this local and state level? Um, we, I don't know if we're any closer to getting a, a national um, policy in place, and certainly there was the Senate inquiry last year, but whether or not anything's actually come, you know, become a practicality out of that at this point in time. Yeah, look, what we've got is, as you've identified, some good work by state and local governments, but also by... You know, whether it's fleets or the Australian electric vehicle industry constantly growing and constantly scaling up further and further a lot more. You know, there is a level of inevitability here of this is the way the world's going, so it's going to happen one way or another. The question is, does it happen in Australia for much later than everyone else? And are any of those businesses like Tritium, you know, are, are there going to be more examples of Australian success stories or will everybody else create those success stories and we'll end up buying it off of everyone? Um, certainly being much later than everyone else would be quite disastrous because of how much how much of that value is available to us here today already. Um, so the question around, I mean, certainly it would be much more helpful if we had a coordinated national policy in place. Um, but it's one thing, I think, to, you know, keep, it's important to keep pushing for and keep, you know, hoping for these things. But also in the meantime, those who are doing things, people like state governments, people like local councils in the government arena, just really need to both recognise and step up their efforts as well of recognising there is this gap here. I think we've seen this in the broader clean energy space of you do need to keep pushing the federal government to you know, get on with it and do something. But at the same time, there are other levers that can be pulled and it's going to mean that that gap needs to be filled by states. Yeah, and I mean, it is interesting. We've got a couple of companies, and I'm going to have um, Tony Fairweather on the show as well today. Uh, it's You've got Tritium up in Brisbane who are doing great things. You've got Sea Electric down here in Victoria who um, are doing great things and are expanding into a, a facility in the La Trobe Valley, which is going to be a great thing for that local economy, but is also, you know, really kicking goals in, in North America currently. So... Um, you know, they kind of need to ch chase where the market is almost. And yeah. um, I think they're doing more business outside of Australia than within Australia. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah look, it's a we spend a lot of time trying to attract investors, whether from overseas or businesses here in Australia, to expand into the electric vehicle sector. And there's no one who looks at this in terms of investing you know, dollars and cents and employing people who doesn't recognise Australia as a great location to do business in the electric vehicle sector, both because we have things like minerals to create the batteries to turn into electric, to put into electric vehicles rather, but also the smarts and the entrepreneurs, people like Tony, uh, people like the guys at Tritium to actually develop solutions. It's not just about, you know, developing the technology, but using it in a smart way that makes life better for people. Unfortunately, they do see that, you know, other countries are racing ahead of Australia because there is a national effort there to make sure that as this change to electric vehicles comes that they get some benefit out of it um, and they're not just not seeing that same level of investment and interest at a government level. I think what's um, 
what's quite uh, good for us, though, is that when they then come and speak to business leaders who are, you know, actually doing the work and building these solutions, they're quite happy to see that this isn't a great place to do business and there are some great brands here. I guess it then just becomes up to us, as you mentioned, to make sure that they stay here and aren't tempted off overseas. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, I really appreciate you coming on today and um, we'll, we'll just give that website to people that may um, think, hey, this is... This is good. And, I mean, look, there's also be a lot of people, small businesses, with maybe a fleet of only two or three, but this is still a useful tool for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's abs- I think it's absolutely perfect and really targeted for small and medium businesses. So appreciating that if you're a larger business, maybe you can pay somebody to come and do a much more detailed version of this for you, but small and medium businesses provides a bit of you know, free helping hand to get you there. Uh, so it's chargetogetherfleets.org. ChargeTogetherFleets.org, excellent. Just ChargeTogether.org. Yeah, ChargeTogether.org. Okay, wonderful. Okay, and I'll put that in the show notes as well, the link to that so that people can um, just click through. So, look, I really appreciate you having you on the show today and um, we'll look forward to... You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. 855 AM. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life and 3CR being in The heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening to the sand You could never understand you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show and um, we're doing a bit of a feature today again looking at uh, elements surrounding the electrification of transport. So I'm um, I'm very pleased to have our next guest on and I'll just run through a bit of a, um, a list of companies that they're working with and this is a small sample and these are only the ones in Australia. We've got City of Belmont and WA, Australia Post, Salvos, Woolworth, City of Casey, City of Yarra, Kings, DHL and IKEA and I mentioned those names because all of those various um, organisations are looking at how they can transition their fleets to electric and they're doing that with the assistance of our next guest Tony Fairweather and Tony is the um, director of Sea Electric which is a Victorian based a transport technology company that is electrifying uh, the light and uh, I suppose up to medium-sized commercial vehicle trucks, vans, etc., predominantly used in um, urban distribution. So welcome, Tony. We're pleased to have you on the line again and um, excited to hear what's happening at Sea Electric. Yeah, thanks for having me, Aaron. So, as I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of um, businesses, and I'm sure probably there's some more that I'm I'm not aware of, that are really taking seriously, as as all companies need to, and looking at the benefits of transitioning their fleets. So 
you, you, the company's only actually been going a, a fairly short time, but um, you're making some pretty good inroads, not only here, but also in overseas markets. Yeah, no, it's a very very exciting segment. As you, as you mentioned, we're focused on that delivery and distribution vehicle segment uh, of the automotive industry. So essentially anything that, that picks up or drops off any type of, uh, of freight in metropolitan uh, environments. So from uh, you mentioned some some great companies that we're working with in Australia, and uh, yeah, that's expanding into um, a lot of uh, our rubbish truck operators, the cleanaways and sewers of the uh, of the world, um, and has uh, allowed us to expand our um, our technology offering uh, on the back of the Australian deployment uh, into a range of other markets. So as as of today, in fact, I've, I've just flown in this morning after spending the last uh, four months in the US with establishing our our operations over there, and we've got some really exciting um, uh, business and, and big um, uh, big volume orders uh, in the in the US, and, and working with some of uh, their largest uh, largest operators over there, like the uh, UPSs of the world and uh, and Staples, which is which is like Officeworks, and operate thousands and thousands of vehicles. <clears throat> we also have product in um, uh, in in Thailand, so we've got our first Southeast uh, Asian uh, deployment. Uh, with, uh, with a range of models up there, vans and vans and trucks. Uh, we had a team in South Africa at the moment uh, electrifying the first Isuzu products over there, MTR and FTR, directly in the Isuzu assembly facility over there. Uh, and New Zealand has been uh, extremely exciting, uh, exciting for us with, uh, with good incentives for the operators in New Zealand. But so being a small market, um, uh, that has uh, that's a, that has enabled. Um, some of the operators over there to have confidence to to make this transition into uh, into EV. We've got our first European product uh, in build in in Australia as well. They'll be exporting to Europe for um, for homologation and uh, and starting our European operations uh, out of Vienna from um, uh, early uh, early to mid uh, mid next year. So as I said, really exciting space and um, you know the uh, the global activity is very exciting as well. Yeah, well, congratulations. That sounds amazing. So for our, um, and it's interesting looking back over the um, the history of, of the company's development because you've seemed to, quite rightly, you, you know, lined up the timing of when you're coming to market with certainly, you know, the rapid reduction in battery pricing and that's allowed... Um, you know these these different models that you, that you're doing to really make sense, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the um, yeah the economic proposition is being driven by the the fact the the component bill of materials, which is primarily your batteries and electric motor in the biggest uh, the biggest chunks, uh, have have dropped at a at a much greater rate than than anticipated. And that's been driven by the the Teslas of the world, and then subsequently the um, the passenger car OEMs getting on board and, and driving the volume of uh, uh, of batteries up, which uh, subsequently drives the, drives the cost down. There's also this element of battery density improvement, much like we saw in the um, in the uh, yeah the phone um, developments uh, over over time. Um, the same is happening in uh, in in the automotive space. So the batteries are simply staying the same size, but producing a lot more energy, and hence uh, achieving a lot more range, whilst the cost is coming down substantially. We, we were probably, you know, we're, we're luckier than the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, in that, um, you know, for us, uh, new business, and we don't carry any of the, the baggage uh, and the challenges associated with having large companies that have been founded essentially as internal 
uh, combustion engine manufacturers first and foremost. So they've got the added challenge of having to restructure their businesses and, and change all of their service models and, and the likes that flow on from their engine manufacturing. Um, and this battery cost reduction, I think, has caught them um, uh, caught them offside in that it happened a lot more quickly than any of us anticipated. Um, we're lucky enough to be able to develop our technology and wait for the time that the battery costs uh, got to a certain point, which for us was, was 300 US per kilowatt hour. Uh, we expected that to happen around now, to be honest, and it, it happened in um, in beginning of 2017. So uh, we were lucky we had the technology ready and been, been a, uh, able to um, uh, exploit our position as well as provide an offering for these OEMs and the upfitters in this space because the operators know the economics make, span, uh, make sense in this segment um, and the environmental uh, element and noise element is, is cream on top. Mm. Listeners, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show and we're talking to Tony Fairweather from Sea Electric. Now, Tony, you mentioned some of those figures. So you're looking at um, now, what, sort of $200 a US dollars a kilowatt hour. And where do you suspect that to see that, say, you know, even in the next 12 months? Yeah, good question. And you're pretty much right on the money now. So even in the, the, you know, the lowish volumes, if you like, that we are buying in comparison to you know, passenger car manufacturers that are moving into into EV, we're down around that 220 to 330 US per kilowatt hour. Um, we we expect to see that down into the um, into the, the low hundreds uh, within the next uh, 12 to 18 months, and dropping below 100 US uh, US per kilowatt hour soon after. And at that price, you know, at, at that at cost, the, the electric trucks are, are not only uh, um, um, a, you know, able to achieve the duty cycle and have the economic proposition in terms of a, a payback, a reasonable payback or break even uh, because of the operating cost savings as they do now. And we're somewhere in that four to five year payback on the premium. But at that time in 12 or 18 months, you're significantly lower cost than uh, the current um, internal combustion engine products, plus you've got the um, the operating cost benefits, the annual operating cost benefits over and above that. Um, and the important, you know, the important aspect in, in addition to the economics, and the economics is in, in this segment is absolutely key because yeah, you know, our customers are, are are companies that need to, they have stakeholders and shareholders, and they need to be. They need to be profitable and need to, um, you know, to need to achieve um, outcomes for those stakeholders. Um, but uh, so the uh, the economics is critical. But um, you know, the duty cycle elements, the fact that these vehicles uh, are fantastic to drive, um, so they're a great experience for drivers when they get into them. Without the fumes, without the noise, without the vibration, uh, the linear acceleration and deceleration, uh, the efficiency of air conditioning at both um, um, low speeds and high speeds, which which is different in terms of internal combustion engines. So that element is now set, particularly with where the density of batteries are, uh, and the, the weight element is the other uh, key key seg- uh, issue in in this segment. Um, and things are getting lighter, and um, you know, the payloads that are required in deliveries uh, are, are able to be achieved. So, so weight, um, beauty cycle, and and costs all tick uh, all tick the box now, and are simply improving literally every every month. Yeah. Now, for some of our listeners that may not have heard our discussion, um, I think it was last August we chatted. Just describe if someone's out there listening and they haven't heard before. You're not manufacturing from scratch, are you? Just describe how your business model currently works. 
Yeah, no, we're, we're essentially an automotive technology company. So we've developed what we refer to as the power system, um, and our brand name is C-Drive, S-E-A-Drive. Um, so the power system that replaces an internal combustion engine and gearbox uh, in a, um, a delivery and distribution vehicle. So an existing delivery and distribution vehicle, be that a you know, one of the Japanese uh, um, products, an Isuzu, a Hino, uh, or um, you know, European products, or Ford, you know, where we're, we're working very closely with in the, in the US. So range of uh, range of platforms that we're able to electrify. So when, when you remove an engine from uh, any uh, automotive product, all of those ancillaries that operate off the engine stop working. So your air conditioning system, your heating system, power steering, braking system, etc. So our C-Drive system provides a replacement that is 100% electric for all of those components and allows that commercial vehicle, in our case, uh, to operate as it would as an internal combustion engine but with zero emission uh, battery power. And then we add a few other items on top of that. So onboard charging, so you don't have to worry about um, offboard fast charging. The telemetry that tells the drivers and the operate, uh, operators uh, how, uh, how the vehicle's performing uh, and does proactive troubleshooting. Uh, and then a, a, a proprietary uh, LCD screen that um, uh, is able to display to the, the driver uh, how he or she is driving the vehicle in regards to um, regenerative braking performance uh, and um, you know, state of charge, etc. Mm, okay, excellent. So, I mean, given that we've got more and more manufacturers, certainly in the passenger, but but also starting to be in the commercial and and, and heavier vehicles, uh, starting to come to market with with their with their own models or certainly in the passenger vehicle and I'm, I'm suppose I'm asking the question in, in the space that you're working in do you see that they're going to come in with their own product or are you seeing a stronger licensing relationship with some of those those businesses those pre-existing OEMs I think the answer to that is is both um, the the challenge in the in the segment that we're in for the OEMs is it's much smaller volume in comparison to their sister companies that are in the passenger car space. So the, the primary focus is on passenger car for a lot of these OEMs. The truck segment is secondary. Um, plus a lot of the truck manufacturers have significant engine manufacturing uh, operations that they have to, as I mentioned before, work through restructuring and downsizing and transitioning to, um, to EV. Um, and that will come with significant time um, and also significant cost that will will have to be recovered somehow, which would be through future EV, EV platforms. So we, we see we've got a, a you know, point of difference and a fairly substantial time benefit at the moment. It's a huge market. Um, and there's plenty of room for OEMs to bring some product to market and for, uh, for third-party um, uh, manufacturers or third-party power system suppliers like us uh, to have a substantial fit. The other thing that we offer is a third-party um, um, you know, uh, upfitting um, uh, company with that technology is the ability to electrify aftermarket product. So we, we think in the um, you know, over the next five to seven years there'll be a, a lot of um, uh, opportunity to electrify three to five year old commercial vehicles um, that, whose engines and gearboxes are starting to cause cause trouble uh, and turn those into 100 uh, percent electric. Uh, as opposed to those operators you know, pushing those into secondary markets and buying uh, buying new electric. 
So we very much think there's an aftermarket opportunity, which the OEMs wouldn't be able to move into, as well as uh, as new vehicle um, electrification. Mm. And certainly a lot of those um, uh, secondary market ones with quite specific, um, you know, purpose-built carrying capacity. You don't necessarily want to get rid of the whole vehicle because there's a lot of um, perfectly good infrastructure on the top um, that they still want to keep, presumably. Absolutely. So, yeah, they, you know, a lot of them spend a, a lot of money on specific bodies, et cetera, that go with them, the cabs and the, the, the general chassis itself and axles and everything is fine. Um, so the first thing that um, you, know, you tend to have issues with uh, uh, engines and, and gearboxes, and that's why our big operators will move vehicles on. Now, um, it's a lot, a lot easier, and particularly if there was some further support and incentives. One of the reasons we're, uh, we're really focused on the U.S. at the moment is uh, um, certain states, in particular California and New York, are offering huge, huge in, uh, hugely attractive incentives to the end customers to both um, take new electric um, commercial vehicles as well as look at um, this aftermarket retrofitting um, because it takes the, you know, the, the older generation diesel engines in particular uh, off the road with offering um, uh, that um, uh, that retrofitting um, uh, incentives, and that, that's that's up to um, eighty, ninety thousand US per vehicle in the in the case of medium duty trucks, and up to one hundred and sixty five thousand US uh, in the case of rubbish trucks. Now that wow. that's huge incentives and mm. um, excessively large. Yeah, we don't need that sort of size incentive to make the model uh, make the, the model work, the economics work. But uh, I think it's a great opportunity for for Australia to look at um, uh, some some form of incentive to um, attract and incentivise the um, uh, the older um, um, you know, used or aftermarket product to be electrified in the uh, in the near term. Yeah, certainly. I mean, cities like um, I was in London a couple of months ago. Uh, the ultra low emission zone. I mean, so many cities will be bringing these in, and particularly in that, um, you know, van space, you know, small small truck space that is doing a lot of that urban delivery. This is this has got to win on all fronts. Absolutely, absolutely. And with um, the you know, the recent news I saw today on the congestion, the potential congestion tax in uh, in big cities. You know, a lot of that is to to pull. Um, uh, not just traffic, but pollution out of cities. Now, um, you know, that could that could very easily have a uh, an EV element tied into that, where um, you don't have to pay congestion tax if you've got a 100% electric vehicle, be it commercial or passenger car, uh, which they uh, they do in um, uh, in London as as well, and have a mandate for for making each of those cities uh, zero emission within a certain period of time. So, no, I think that's a very good point. Now. Do you see? Um I mean, you know, we've seen a transition with passenger vehicles where, you know, we saw the Tesla come straight out with the EV, but we've seen some other, you know, more legacy um, OEMs, you know, some of them go through a transition with hybrid. Um, I'm just thinking around some of these cities with the air quality um, conditions that they're starting to, to put in place. Is there, is there, is there a transition within the, the heavier indus- heavier vehicle industry or hybrids, or is it just kind of people making the jump straight through? I'm just thinking of when they enter city, more built-up inner-city areas, that they then switch to the, um, you know, the, the EV capacity only. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. The, the, the biggest challenge with with batteries, aside from you know the cost element, etc., is is physically being able to fit enough uh, enough of them on that particular platform to achieve the duty cycle. 
um, and still to make the economics work. So the, the transit bus and um, uh, and uh, tractor or prime mover space is a perfect example of where a hybrid te- type technology will, will be needed for a period of time, and it's just purely because you can't physically get enough batteries into them based on the density of the batteries and the size of them at the moment to be able to achieve their duty cycles, which are much longer range and, and, and much longer hours. Mm. And the segment that we're, we're playing in, where it, it works very well because they're generally fixed, ra- uh, fixed routes, uh, relatively low kilometres for you know, pick-up vehicles around town, um, lots of um, dwell time at night to be able to charge, uh, charge well. And completely predictable travel patterns. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, they're generally a you know, plus or minus kind of ten percent of what, uh, what what they've done the day before. So it's very easy to um, to be able to ensure that your EV power system matches that particular duty cycle. Uh, but transit buses and the likes have that added challenge. So I think there's a real opportunity um, for uh, uh, hydrogen uh, type um, type technology, which which effectively bolts on to um, to the EV technology. Um, and particularly in Australia, where we've got some pretty good hydrogen supplies, um, that when the economics of that's right, that, that that might work quite well in the in the transit bus, or in particular in the uh, in the prime mover uh, segment for for a, uh, a period of time. I, I don't think, or I'm certain that hybrid is not required in in our segment. Anything from um, delivery vans, so your normal um, uh, delivery vans that the, the, the TNTs and, and uh, the tolls are driving, right up to rubbish trucks. Uh, 100% electric technology works in that space now and will just simply get better, better and better. Mm. Um, passenger car uh, also um, fundamentally works uh, if you've got the charging infrastructure. Uh, and again, the US is, uh, is a long way ahead of Australia with, uh, with regards to that, however, there's a lot of activity now in Australia with getting a charging infrastructure. Uh, but I think that big, big end, the bigger, heavier duty vehicles that travel much longer distances and hours, that's where the hybrid uh, elements uh, of alternative fuel technology will, will work for a period of time. Now, earlier on the show, we were talking to Bihar Jeffrey, the CEO of the Electric Vehicle Council, about the new initiative, Charge Together, which is um, kind of a knowledge platform. I don't know how familiar. I know you've been out of the country for a while. It's just uh, launched last week or so. But basically, it's a tool to help fleet managers uh, put together the business case and get the knowledge that they need to show what transitioning to EV means for them. Um, what sort of what are you finding when you're yourself or your staff are out talking to fleet managers, what are the resistance points? Um, it, it generally around understanding the uh, the cost model and the total cost of ownership and also accepting that you know, these vehicles can achieve the, the same sort of performance outcomes that um, an existing product um, uh, performs. So the, you know, the three key elements that we need to be able to, to sell the market on is that, is that total cost of ownership element, um, uh, the weights, and, um, and being able to, to validate the duty cycle. So it's, it's really important for, for operators to be able to touch, touch and feel. Uh, and getting that opportunity to put a first vehicle into the fleet, which, which New Zealand have done really well with the, the particular incentive program they've, they've had over there, which is about incentivising the first uptake of one or two vehicles, be it passenger cars into, into fleets or... Um, uh, or you know, buses or trucks or, or whatever the case may be. Um, the ECA funding over there, the model is sensational because it allows 
companies to have effectively a zero risk opportunity at purchasing a particular vehicle, putting it into their business and validating that it works, which you know, 99% of the time they achieve that and then they're confident to go and, and purchase uh, purchase vehicles at, um, at their true retail price because they understand the economics, they understand the charging challenges, etc. So some, some um, you know, many, many operators are, uh, you know, don't believe initially that a truck can do 250 or 300 kilometres without having the, the need to charge. Um, so they need to be able to understand, validate, test that. Um, we provide an onboard charger which enables them to charge in depot without the need to, um, uh, to, to go and find DC fast charging. So that simplifies a, a lot of that for... Um, uh, for, for operators who are new to this particular space. They see the electric vehicle as one challenge, then they see the charging infrastructure access to, as well as uh, infrastructure, you know, potential hidden costs infrastructure of infrastructure into their depots as being um, a barrier to, to entry as well. But now, Bayad and the, uh, and the Council are doing a fantastic job, and yeah, I'm aware of that program, so we, we, will, we will be a part of that definitely moving forward. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, look, we're. Um, I don't want to hold you up too long, but I do want to talk about what's happening down in the Latrobe Valley, um, because you know we've just talked about a whole lot of things and different markets that you, you guys seem to be making great inroads into. But you're also do, doing some expansion within the Victorian context. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so Victoria is the, the only state and Australia is the only country in the world that we look at doing our own upfitting, our own assembly. Um, it's our head office, it's our origin, um, and it's, you know, it's our part of, um, uh, of doing the, the right thing by, uh, by, by the country and the state that, uh, uh, that, that we love. Outside of that, all of the other countries and markets that I mentioned, uh, we have a, um, a, a licensing or a supply agreement type arrangement with uh, upfitters or even with OEMs relating um, uh, their, uh, their, their performing the installation and the upfitting of the electrification. So it's a, it's a different model and, and a lot lots more, more simplistic. You know, in the case of, um, of Victoria, we have our Dandenong facility at the moment and we have a, uh, an agreement to, uh, to work towards um, um, a, a, second, uh, a second assembly facility in the Latrobe Valley, which is progress, progressing really well. We have a uh, last count, I think about 25 Latrobe Valley employees already before we've, we've even turned the dirt down at Latrobe Valley. Uh, who commute up to us in Dandenong every uh, every day, um, and they've uh, been doing a great job in Dandenong. With the, the the intention being, once we have our facility up and running down in all the Latrobe Valley, that they would transition back into that and provide um, skilled and trained um, 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 experience to be able to help the new employees down that uh, down that way. Now, there's a, a lot of exciting things which I, I can't I can't dig into substantially, but um, suffice to say that there is a, um, a substantial appetite for a range of um, uh, of, of glider platforms. Um, so that is uh, vehicles without engines and gearboxes to be um, electrified in in volume and uh, uh, would would uh, most likely be done in the Latrobe Valley um, in the Latrobe Valley area. So the Victorian government has been fantastic. They're very supportive uh, of uh, of this this program, and um, we're we're working as uh, as quickly as we can with uh, with them um, to be able to make that happen. Oh well, look, that's really exciting. That's good to hear about that because um, you know we know that there's uh, you know that area has been hit by 
the closure of Hazelwood and this is something that we've kind of kept on pushing for is that and the, the whole I suppose climate movement is understanding that we need to transition out of some of these older um, power and, and coal-based power jobs but we need to do that in a planned transition way so it's great to see some new industries like the electrification of transport going into those industries and hopefully um, you know getting some of those people and reuse their skills in a in a technology for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Well, look, it's been great to talk with you, Tony. Um, I look forward to keeping in touch and um, seeing how things are going. It sounds like you're hitting run, home runs on all fronts, so congratulations. Yeah, no, thanks very much, Eric. Okay. Your time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Cyclone Cast is pretty grim. Shocking. Do you ever feel like just switching off? Well, don't. Switch on to Beyond Zero Emissions Community Radio Show every Monday at 5pm on 3CR and beat the doom and gloom to find out the latest actions and research in your community. BZE Radio at 5pm on Monday. Turn the tide, literally. So I hope you enjoyed our show today. Um, it's always interesting to see developments in all different sectors. Uh, and as you know, you know we need to tackle uh, climate change from all different directions, whether it be direct action, such as the strikes that we've been featuring recently, or things like electrifying transport or holding companies to account through the uh, corporate legislation um, and diversification and divestment. So there's all kind of elements that we've got to tackle it from. So I hope you enjoyed that show today featuring the Electric Vehicle Council and their new Charge Together platform. And I'll put in the show notes the links to that and also a local success story, Sea Electric, which is a commercial and um, freight operator originated out of Victoria but having great success uh, all over the world really, which is wonderful to see. So we'll wrap it up there. Uh, my name's Erin Jones. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, always welcome your feedback uh, to me. Probably Twitter's the best place, at EJ4573. And if there's a guest that you think would be really beneficial to um, have a chat to, let me know. Nice to talk with you today and look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye.